This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Welcome back, folks. Today's episode is one that I've been thinking about for quite some time. How do you properly commemorate what happened one year ago today? For most of us, January 6th has become one of those moments of generational trauma, like the 9-11 attacks, where we will never forget what we were doing that day as the violence unfolded. I happened to be doing this show. Solely Dad O'Brien was my guest. Neither of us could believe what we were witnessing that day. And just like 9-11, it was truly a made-for-TV spectacle that unfolded live like a nightmare in real time. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing. Where are the fucking traitors? Drag them out by the fucking hair. And we fight. We fight like hell. Can I speak to Pelosi? Yeah, we're coming, bitch. Oh, my bitch, we're coming for you too, fucking In the immediate aftermath of that terrible day, there was a glimmer of contrition from the likes of fucking Mitch McConnell and even the jerk-off Kevin McCarthy. And for the briefest of moments, we sighed in collective relief. Try as they might, the coup failed. Trump failed. The Republic held, and now there would be repercussions. This time, Trump would go down. Everyone saw what happened, and there was no denying the proceedings. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress. President Trump is responsible for provoking the events of the day. The president's language and rhetoric crossed a line, and it was reckless. The president needs to understand that his actions were the problem, not the solution. This is the cost of telling thousands of people that there is a legitimate shot of overturning the election. Some say... The riots were caused by Antifa. There is absolutely no evidence of that. And conservatives should be the first to say so. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility quell the brewing unrest and ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin. But in a sequence that will be familiar to those who remember the Access Hollywood tape story, Trump sloughed off the criticism. The base stood by him. And in no time, high-level Republican officials such as McCarthy decided it was politically safer to get back on side. And President Trump won this election, so everyone who's listening, do not be quiet. Do not be, do not be silent about this. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. We unite together. And you don't need to be a Republican. You believe in every legal vote needs to count. You believe in the American process. Join together and let's stop. January 6, 2021 should have been a pivotal point. The Capitol riot was the violent culmination of President Donald Trump and his Republican allies' war on the legitimacy of American elections. But it's also a glimpse into the abyss that could have prompted the rest of the party to step away. Days before the anniversary of the January 6th riot, after six months of gathering evidence, the leader of the committee investigating the insurrection says the attack was likely a coordinated effort. It could be people in the executive branch, could be people 
in the Department of Defense, uh, uh, some state characters, uh, some nonprofits, and some very wealthy individuals. And the top Republican on the committee, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, says former President Donald Trump ignored pleas to tell his supporters to retreat. We have firsthand testimony uh, that his daughter Ivanka uh, went in at least twice uh, to ask him to please stop this violence. Trump also disregarded texts from his eldest son, Donald Trump Jr., and urgent calls from Republican leader Kevin McCarthy demanding he calm the crowd. The Republican Party has to make a choice. We can either be loyal to our Constitution or loyal to Donald Trump, but we cannot be both. Congresswoman Cheney also suggests the committee could even consider recommending criminal penalties for the former president. Yet the GOP's fever didn't break that day. Large majorities of Republicans continue to believe the lie that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump, and elected Republicans around the country are acting on this conspiracy theory, attempting to lock Democrats out of power by seizing partisan control of America's electoral systems. Democrats observe all of this and gird for battle, with many wondering if the 2024 elections themselves will actually be rigged thanks to a rash of anti-democratic voting bills and the work of the GOP to insert itself into the voting mechanism on the state level. Well, there's a lot of disparate and uh, ideas right now and disagreements within the Trump faction. You see it all, all the time now between people like Michael Flynn or Steve Bannon and all the, you know, the different sides of it. But they all agree the only way to move forward is at the school boards, the local level in these off-year elections while people aren't paying attention. You can hop into these spaces. You can run as a QAnon candidate openly and, and not like few, few people vote in these things. Uh, and if you, if you get in there, you're there for the next few years and you can affect change legitimately. So Michael Flynn has pushed that. He said, run for your school board. Steve Bannon said, uh, you have, we have to go village by village in the next few years. And that's their plan, build up this base underneath it. So when people are saying all the crazy QAnon stuff, the, you know, the Chromebooks are giving my kids Savannah syndrome stuff, it sounds crazy now, but maybe in a couple of years, uh, it won't. That's, that's how we got here with all this vaccine stuff and, you know, the 5G stuff and all of these things. That stuff was crazy a few years ago, but it isn't now. It's kind of part of our discourse. Planting those seeds now will, in fact, in a few years, uh, pay dividends to them. Exactly one year after the attempted coup on January 6th, the most senior people responsible have yet to be held accountable. Some of the low-level rioters have been charged and sentenced, often without much or any prison time. That's still far more punitive than anything experienced by their political ringleaders, including former President Donald Trump the White House aides, and outside advisors who all coordinated his attempt to overturn the will of the voters and the 147 GOP lawmakers who voted against certifying the election's legitimate results. We need to have a lot more outrage, not only surrounding, nine, not only surrounding January 6th, but all of the events that have occurred since then and the events occurred before that. And if we think about all that, we had almost a governor kidnapped and murdered in, of Michigan. We've had multiple, multiple incidents of this. And so to me is, is yes, we do need to have a story. And yes, we do need to share a common sense of democracy. And yes, that is the fundamental problem in America today. But we have a proximate problem today. Many of those people that showed up on January 6th were not three percenters. We're average Americans that you run into at a Starbucks or at a grocery store who were radicalized enough 
to commit a violent act on January 6th. And there are many, many millions of those people in America today that I don't believe we've had enough outrage at the leaders who are facilitating it, at the leaders in Washington, D.C., who are facilitating that in a way that they're facilitating terrorism. That's how we ought to look at leaders who facilitate us. They are facilitating terrorism and we ought to have outrage about it. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that Trump, a man who had joked about being president for life and envying the power of dictators, would have shredded the Constitution and likely would have had the support of much of the Republican Party as he did it. So I really hope the Democrats, as we reflect this week on the day, really try to help, um, the, the committee helps educate the public about November and, and December of 2020 and, and the days before January 6th, two entire months where many, many, many people were illegally planning a coup uh, to take control of the government by illegal means. And it wasn't just a violent organic act. It was very well planned and involved many, many people and it was not legal. Scary as the answers to those what if questions are, Perhaps even scarier is that today, despite Biden having won the election with more votes than any presidential candidate in U.S. history, despite Trump having lost more than 60 court challenges to the election, despite failed recount efforts, despite public knowledge of unfounded and likely illegal attempts to pressure state officials to change their vote counts, despite the coup attempt and becoming the only the American president ever impeached twice, the attempt to undermine democracy is continuing unabated. The idea that our democracy is under threat was not a one-time attack on democracy. Um, you know, what we really did is we went and looked and saw all the hundreds of bills, legislation across the country, and dozens, about two dozen actually, that have passed, many of them in swing states across the country, that make it easier uh, to overturn the results of a democratic election, either by uh, contesting the will of voters in specific states by state legislatures, or by replacing uh, good public servants of both parties with partisan hacks uh, who will uh, vote uh, in the way that uh, the, the MAGA crowd wants them to. And so as this is going on across the country, we also have uh, hanging over us a incredibly dangerous political environment of, of violence and uh, of implicit and some, in some cases explicit threats on public servants, on journalists, on, on others. Um, and so I think, you know, all in all, uh, this is a five alarm fire. At different moments, conservative commentators and politicians have dismissed those who took part in the assault on the Capitol as mere tourists and have lionized them as martyrs and political prisoners. They have alternately blamed undercover FBI agents and leftists in disguise for the storming of the building. Some of the people who breached the Capitol today were not Trump supporters. They were masquerading as Trump supporters. This has all the fingerprints of an Antifa operation. It's the way they operate. I knew those are people that love this country, that truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to, to break a law. We now know there was no armed insurrection. Nobody had arms. There was no insurrection, and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. If you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. Was January 6th an insurrection, or could it be more accurately described as a mob of misfits? It was Trump supporters who lost their lives that day 
uh, not Trump supporters who were taking the lives of others. Truth is being censored and covered up. In the months since the establishment of the January 6th committee, much has been learned about not just January 6th, but what led up to that day. Trump's big lie around the election lit the fuse. His speech at a Stop the Steal rally was the explosion. Everything since that day has been a tug of war for the truth. We really don't know who is behind this. I guess you could call these, uh, for lack of a better word, Antifa-like tactics. We don't know if Antifa is out there. I saw the beginning of the march and it seemed, you know, pretty non-conspicuous. You're going to see that 99% of this was all peaceful and a handful of yeah. folks, and again, we've got to get to the bottom of who they are, who they're representing, decided to try and kick the doors down. If Antifa was there, we need to root it out and to make sure that that's called out because it shouldn't be blamed on groups that weren't responsible. I heard those reports, too, about possible yeah. Antifa infiltration. There have been reports that there were instigators. There is no evidence or proof. We also knew that there's always bad actors that will infiltrate large crowds. An overwhelming majority of them, 99 point, more than 99% had to be, uh, were peaceful, but because of a small contingent of loons, these patriots have been unfairly maligned. What happened today will be used by the people taking power to justify stripping you of the rights you were born with as an American. If you don't bother to pause and learn a single thing from it, from your citizens storming your Capitol building, then you're a fool. You lack wisdom and you lack self-awareness. You have no place running a country. We got to this sad, chaotic day for a reason. It is not your fault, it is their fault. We are now left with a feeling of general dread that what happened on January 6th is far from over. Truly grappling with the threat ahead means taking full account of the terror of that day a year ago. Thanks largely to the dogged work of a bipartisan committee in the House of Representatives, this reckoning is underway. We now know that the violence and mayhem broadcast live around the world was only the most visible and visceral part of the effort to overturn the election. The effort extended all the way into the Oval Office, where Mr. Trump and his allies plotted a constitutional self-coup. What we're, we're seeing here is a complete lack of remorse on what happened that day, even after the insurrection, even after the, the deaths on and connected to that day, um, even after what it's done to this country and the belief in free and fair elections in this country, there, there's no remorse. And revelations like his continue to remind us that January 6th wasn't just about that day. It wasn't just about Trump supporters um, looking around and saying they wanted to hang Mike Pence. They didn't come up with this plan on their own. They didn't come up with these ideas that the election was stolen on their own. Trump loyalists around the government, around the political world, in Congress, in his administration, like Peter Navarro, and also people like Steve Bannon and right-wing media spread these lies to people. And they were willing to subvert the will of the American people in order to do that. And that is what's key to, to this day, to this conversation at the heart of what the January 6th committee is doing. They're tying, you know, what happened the months before January 6th and the election and what happened on that day um, and throughout trying to figure out who did what and what and why so they can stop something from this from happening again. By and large, the people who voted for Trump in 2016 and again in 2020 don't fucking care about an insurrection. They don't care that he, honest to God, tried to overturn an election. They don't believe it was an insurrection. 
Only 26% of Republicans think the people who entered the Capitol were mostly violent. They cannot be convinced Trump was really trying to overthrow democracy. Although the crowd represented a broad cross-section of Americans, mostly working class by their appearance and manner of speech, some people stood out. A very few didn't share the jovial, friendly, earnest demeanor of the great majority. Some obviously didn't fit in, and he describes four different types of people. Plainclothes militants, agents provocateurs, fake Trump protesters, and then disciplined, uniformed column of attackers. I think these are the people that uh, probably planned this. The result has been a vicious circle in which the Republican base and Republican politicians reinforced one another's worst impulses. Polls have repeatedly shown that a huge percentage of Republicans believe that the 2020 election was stolen and that Joe Biden was illegitimately sworn in as president. Republican politicians, therefore, rarely push back against the big lie, which in turn makes the base more extreme. Each push the other further toward unreality and indecency. And in the midst of this political psychodrama sits the ugliness of January 6th, which is violence in the service of a lie now being lied about. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is the political satirist and Twitter comedian, Walter Masterson. For those of you who flock to progressive Twitter, you can see his videos, which garner hundreds of thousands of views on Patriot Takes and Midas Touch, lampoon and mine the more extreme corners of the MAGA universe. Present at the January 6th insurrection, Masterson's videos have provided viewers with a frontline access and insight to the MAGA mindset. At the same time, his videos and dispatches gleefully troll unaware ultra-right imbeciles as they give themselves up on Twitter and TikTok. So much so that he has been instrumental in helping the FBI apprehend rioters who have boasted about their crimes on tape. He joins us today on Mea Culpa to talk about the January 6th insurrection one year after the events of that terrible day. Masterson had the opportunity to interview countless rioters who gleefully mugged in front of his camera and offered a peek into their delusional mindset and belief in Trump's big lie. So let's go now to that conversation. All right, so Walt, you were present on January 6th. Now, as you said, you came to Washington to make comedy and wound up documenting history. If you would do me the favor, walk, up, walk myself and my listeners through the tenor of the day and when it turned for you from an ordinary rally into something far more frightening. Okay, yeah. So first off, just for the record, I had attended all of the Stop the Steal rallies leading up to it, right? right after the election, there were two other ones in DC and they both became a lot more aggressive with each one. The December Stop the Steal rally was terrifying because there was this very thick feeling, this palpable feeling in the air that something was going down. I have a video of a very tiny older woman saying, soft-spoken saying, you know, I have a feeling this is gonna be the last peaceful 
protest we're going to see. And it it shook me because she seemed like your moderate Trump supporter. The fact that she was so radicalized was uh, was something I, I've also. And so when my show, so uh, my friends, Hillary Clinton, he's also a TikToker. We showed up early at Capitol Hill for the speeches. Our aim was to just get some some funny interviews. And I had been told my friend Jolly Ginger, who's also on TikTok, said, listen, get out of there before Pence certifies the vote. He says, you'll be fine. Just as soon as Pence certifies the vote, do not be in D.C. That was his advice. And I thought and I, I thought he was certifying the vote at four o'clock. It turns out, yeah, I was dead wrong. Um, so they, they started attacking way before then. I had, when, so we got to D.C. and it seemed it was a very weird vibe because people still had hope that things were going to turn around. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the election was called. Pence is going to certify the vote. This is a very boring part of our democracy. To to everyone else, it was like, no, this is over. It's it's long over. But everyone was at the rally with this anticipation that Trump was going to pull something out of his sleeve, that uh, they were going to uncover all of the election fraud. And that's what these people thought they were doing when they were running inside the Capitol. They thought, oh, well, all we need are the official documents detailing how the election was stolen. So people had this hope that it, it wasn't a done deal. And it people seemed kind of cheery and okay until I talked about how Biden was going to be president. And they were like, that's not going to happen. Uh, and it seemed very weird to contend with that. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of just anger in the air. There's a lot of proud boys. There was a lot of, there's a lot of everyone present and it seemed a little, just a little scary from, from the outset. It seemed kind of surreal. Interesting because you interviewed countless people that day, many of whom had attacked the Capitol, even the now notorious QAnon shaman. Is there any one person who stood out in your mind that was sort of, um, emblematic of the larger crowd and gave voice to why they were doing what they were doing because and I asked this question because if you go to your um Instagram account or your Twitter account there's always videos of you um you know basically trolling these people these anti-vaxxers these anti um you know stop the you know the stop the steal folks mm -hmm many of whom are dangerous. They're dangerous people. And the court system has now thrown the book at many of them. Now, there's a whole group of them that are coming out and making statements that they want to cooperate and so on. You know, great. A little bit too, you know, a little too little too late. But we'll take it for what it, for what it is. But these people don't seem to have a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. So one of the people that I interviewed that really messed me up in a way was the the Viking, the Q shaman, the face of the entire movement, Jacob Chansley. So I interviewed him in December. It was a very unremarkable interview. 
I didn't think much of it at the time. He seemed just kind of a funny looking character. He's wearing his, you know, Viking and the all in fur and with a big sign that says Q sent me. Uh, wasn't very easy to troll because he just stayed on message. He did the trolling himself. He just made himself look insane. But one of the things that stood out to me was he is a very uh, nice person when you meet him. He has a very warm energy. He is always listening to you when you're speaking. And he was not your, he didn't have a very mean uh, uh, energy about him. He wasn't this raging firebrand. And that was disturbing because this is the face of radicalization. He, a lot of these Trump supporters, a lot of these people that storm the Capitol, some of them are raging firebrands. They're mean-spirited. Some of them that I spoke to that day seemed very decent. And that that was very upsetting to me because this radicalization takes what you know, normally could have been very decent people and turns them very violent. Did you ever have did you ever have a chance, Walt, to ask him what the fuck was he doing there? Why did you put on this outfit? And so what's very funny, I don't know if you ever watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. But they had an episode in terms of where, you know, because of uh, the PPP money that people were getting, yeah, yeah. that they decided to use it. And they went into the manufacturing of costumes and they couldn't sell it because of COVID. And then all of a sudden they end up selling the outfit to the shaman. It's really, it's a very funny <laughs> episode. But did you, it, it, I recommend it to everybody. But did you ask him what the fuck he was doing? Why are you there? What's the point you're trying to make? Couldn't you have made the same point on the other side of the Capitol, meaning not inside, not sitting inside the, the Senate, not going into um, Nancy Pelosi's office. I mean, couldn't they have done what they were hoping to do without actually storming the Capitol? Considering you say that he seemed like a nice guy, and I have no doubt that that's your feelings. I don't know him to make, you know, to cast any dispersions um, against him. All I'm asking is whether or not whether or not he knew what he was actually doing. Well, that's okay. So I, I get what you're saying. So here's the problem. A lot of these people. So first off, let me back up and say the death threats that I received after January 6th dropped to almost zero. It went down tremendously. I was getting very overt death threats. People didn't even bother to hide who they were when they threatened me. Now, here's the thing. Everyone thought they were behaving on behalf of the president of the United States of America. Okay. So people behaved with impunity. People used to threaten me with impunity because they were threatening me on behalf of the president of the United States. So that's how that's their mindset. And I, I, it, I was in, um, I was in D.C. I was for Biden's inauguration. And, you know, we all saw the helicopter flying away to Mar you know, to Air Force One, the Mar then Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> and I said, wow, that's got to suck for these people. They're sitting in jail thinking that the president was going to save them, that they were just going to get some blanket pardon for all the rioters. And none of that happened. So that's what they were all thinking. They were thinking we're doing what we have to do 
for the president, for our president, who is, you know, our once in the future, always president. So that's how they behaved. That's the mindset behind all of it. And so that's and once they realized that they're not acting on behalf of the guy that once they realized that President Trump did not have their back anymore, suddenly I stopped getting a lot of threats. A lot of people stopped threatening me because they realized that he's not standing behind them ready to bail them out of jail. Okay, but let's jump straight into the QAnon shaman for a split second, because that's who, you know, you claimed was probably the most interesting person that you met there. And he displayed qualities that you thought were actually fairly decent. Let's say that when he opened his mouth. Except when he opened his mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Understood. But as as a guy who was there on the ground, video cameras rolling, did you ever ask him? Why are you there? What are you doing? Um, You know, do you realize that you just stormed or that you're intending on storming the Capitol? That this is an insurrection? It's in essence a coup? Any questions like that posed to him? I I didn't get to ask him any of that. And I I didn't get to ask anyone, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? Because at the time I was just pretending to be a conservative reporter and trying to fit in. I kind of was, I was afraid of getting my cover blown and, you know, getting the snot beaten out of me. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I do want to hit you with then a question on the other side of the coin. Was there any one person or group of people who, when you met them, sent an absolute chill down your spine? Because here's what we know. Most of these people that were there, that were attacking the Capitol, the police and so on. They're just fucking losers, right? Wannabes, and that they're sadly brainwashed imbeciles on behalf of Donald Trump. But there was also a crowd of really serious, hardcore militants, right? These guys came with bear spray, um, zip ties, bats. Some guys had knives. There were guns hidden, um, you know, in cars, you know, down the roads and so on in paramilitary gear. Did you come across any of these folks? Absolutely. There's a bunch of people I came across and those people, I mean, that it was absolutely terrifying. They came to, they came to storm the Capitol. They, they came with full intent on doing this, that they, they were, immediately this wasn't something that just happened to break out they marched down there all of them marched down there i watched the entire crowd leave the rally and march towards the capitol and they went right in the capitol this wasn't some protests that just got out of hand and they wound up in the capitol they went to every single entrance that there was for the capitol and i ran into a bunch of people that were well equipped to get busy um, there's, and and what was what were your questions to them? Describe the interaction with them because I'm always were, fascinated. I, I mostly was I'm, just letting them talk, and they were very perplexed as to why the police were shooting back. They got you know these. There's one guy who it was multiple people that you know showed me their rubber bullets that they got hit with that they're pulling out of their skin. The they're telling me about how they just got. Uh, tear gassed and they were just flabbergasted that this is how the police would respond to them. That's not surprising to me. I've gone to many black lives matter protests 
that doesn't surprise me at all that the police would spray tear gas and shoot rubber bullets. But these people were like, oh, because all of them think that the police work for them. So they were a bit surprised when the police did not work for them. And it was so that was that was their their thinking of like, what? I mean, and you and this is also very evident in the fact that they were very shocked and uh, amazed and revolted at the fact that Ashley Babbitt was shot in the head. I mean, you just look at it. I mean, they they were just like, oh, my God, how, you know, she was just trying to enter the Senate chambers uh, with a group of people, you know, uh, and they shot her. I mean, look at that. I mean, look at how look at their reaction to Ashley Babbitt being shot. That tells you everything you need to know about how they, you know, how they were going and how they were reacting. Yeah, again, because I've talked to you about this before, about the videos that you put up. And to me, I find them, on your behalf, absolutely frightening. These folks are there to do serious, serious damage. And I just wondered whether or not, you know, as you were in this crowd with these guys walking around in the paramilitary gear, carrying the MAGA flag, carrying the Trump 2020 flag, you know, whether or not you came across um, or you engaged in any substantive conversation with any of them, like just ask them, why are you here? A paramilitary gear. Why are you carrying bear spray? Well, I knew why they were there. They were there. Well, I'm not asking you whether you knew it because I know well, you're I didn't, I didn't figure I'm it, asking I didn't, whether or not you had the chance to ask yeah, any of I them. Yes, yeah, so the answer is no. I, did, I didn't have a chance to ask them what they, why they were doing what they were doing. They, yeah, they thought they were uh, saving the country from the CCP, from the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, interesting. You know, one of the things you may have um, read about, most people have not because it did not get the mainstream coverage that it probably deserved. But there was a couple, it, uh, their um, fiancé, um, it's a, a young lady by the name of Jennifer Lawrence and her fiancé by the name of, uh, what, what's his name, Dustin Stockton. And they went and they testified before the committee, the January 6th committee, a little over two weeks ago. And the reason that they are relevant is because the Ellipse rally was under their permit. And this is one of the things that they actually expressed to the January 6th committee. And I don't know if you, if you heard this or not, but when they testified before the January 6th committee separately, they explained that two weeks prior to the Ellipse rally, the January 6th rally, it was taken from them. It was hijacked from them by Eric Trump, by Laura Trump, by Mark Meadows, by this mother-daughter, their last name being Kramer. I think one of them is like Amy Kramer. Um, it was taken over by... Um, Katrina Pearson, the whole team Trump came in and said to them, we're going to take over the running of this rally. Now, again, there's no problem with them having a rally there. That's your First Amendment constitutional right. Yeah. Something that I believe in, considering I know what it's like to have that taken away from you in your own country by your president, and by your attorney general. But one of the things that they did, meaning Eric, Laura, team Trump, the Republican 
party, whether it was the RNC or their super PAC, one of the things that they did is they converted that rally into a march, which is a completely different permit. I'm curious as to why now the January 6th committee hasn't called Eric and Laura, why they haven't called uh, this Kramer um, mother-daughter team, why they haven't called Katrina Pearson, Mark Meadows they already called, he clearly has not come in yet. Have you heard anything about this? No, that makes perfect sense that they turned it into a march because then it they actually have, you know, they can legally just march up to the Capitol and just say, oh, oops, you know, with... Because when he said we're going to march, Trump said we're going to march down there. I, I I can't speak for the how the Democratic Party is handling things. My my POV on that is just that they do this respectability politics nonsense that just has to go. I mean, if this were if this were flipped on its head and this were the Democrats being under investigation, they would subpoena everyone and just, you know, nail everyone to the wall on this. Well, that's at least assuming that we were still under, you know, um, the Fuhrer himself, Donald and his administration. You know, they would just start locking people up without, you know, even having, um, you know, a court case. They would just start throwing people in prison because that's what the Supreme Leader says. But, you know, since we're talking about um, the oversight, this January 6th committee, and the oversight that they're doing. I want to bring something to your attention because it's talk about point of view, and I have obviously mine, and I'm quite vocal about it. I, too, am not thrilled with the process to which it's running in terms of uh, expediency. They have now, they do this on, they go on television and they say, we have interviewed more than 300 people. And when I hear that, a little bit different than what the most most people are thinking in their head, because I'm obviously very soiled and I'm uh, I have my own view of what's going on here. I know because I went before like ten of these. I didn't just do it before the House Oversight Committee. I also testified before the Senate Judiciary, before the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. You know, th- you know at least three times to just the the House um, and twice to the Senate and and so on. So it's like 10 times. Each and every time, they kept me for a minimum of nine hours. And I tell you this because I want to put this into perspective, not just obviously for you, but for all my listeners and anybody else that wants to pick this up. 300 people at nine hours a clip is 2,700 hours. Just do simple math and divide it by 24. It's 112 and a half days worth of hearings that they have conducted. Where's the fucking indictments? You're going to tell me after a third of a year, give or take, that you don't have enough information already to lock up that orange-crusted, fucking-dusted, bloviated jerk-off with Mark Meadows and Eric Trump and Laura Trump and Rudy Colludi Giuliani and Mark. I mean, just an, the whole group of these fucking insurrectionists as we now today, right? Well, January 6th are going to be celebrating or I shouldn't even say celebrate, acknowledging the one year anniversary. Yeah. And so who's fucking locked up? And for me, it enrages me 
because I was fucking locked up after 48 hours from a Friday to a Monday <laughs> told either you plead guilty or we're filing an 85-page indictment that's going to include your wife. Why am I the only one that's having an anvil dropped on my head? I didn't fucking rush the Capitol. I didn't attack police officers. I didn't go in and steal Nancy Pelosi's computer. I didn't sit there like the shaman and try to take over the Senate. Um, you know, I mean, this is, this is insane. I didn't try to stop a valid victory by President Biden, right, for the certification of the voting. I didn't do any of this. I paid a porn star not to speak about pulling the president's mushroom pecker. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So the criminal justice system is, yeah, it's lopsided in this regard. It's because it's ridiculous. I, I don't understand how the people that organized this at the top have not been prosecuted because there's actual text messages. There's actual text exchanges between everyone that clearly illustrates that they knew what was happening, that they knew what was happening while it was happening. I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe, you know, Trump had enough uh, people buffers between him to keep the stain off of him, but why not lock up anyone just related to him? You know, his, you know, his representatives to this. I don't, I don't understand it, but I, I do want to say, the other part that I really don't understand is how there was no backup. So here's the thing. These people ran into the Capitol from all sides. They ripped the doors off, broke the windows, had free run of the Capitol for hours. My friends, uh, Hillary Clinton and I stood there waiting for backup to show up. This is the nation's Capitol. We saw nothing. It wasn't until much, much later that backup had actually arrived. That is so suspect to me as to why these people were left out, hung out to dry. And you don't, you don't understand. There was, these people were coming in and out. They had, I had watched them completely overrun the Capitol. Nothing, no one, you'd think the, the police and law enforcement in this country are heavily militarized. There's no lack of police to defend Capitol Hill, but there was no one forthcoming. And I'm wondering who called it off, who made sure that no backup, who left all the entire Senate out, hung out to dry on this, in this regard. I don't get it. Well, I can tell you what they got, meaning the January 6th committee, they have all the emails, they have all the text messages. We already know that for 187 minutes, right? Three hours and seven minutes, Donald Trump sat on his fat ass in the, in the um, room directly adjacent to the Oval Office, watching television, watching the insurrection. And if people go back to some of my earlier mea culpa podcasts with a multitude of my guests, I turn around and I told you, without even being there, exactly what was going on in Donald Trump's fucked up head. He was enjoying this. He saw paramilitary gear. He saw that you have the American flag behind you. He had the MAGA flag. He had the Donald Trump 2020 flag, you know, that people were doing. He had people in MAGA sweatshirts and those ugly red baseball caps and so on. And for him, it was a turn on. 
It was a, it was a complete turn on. He had a, he had a mushroom stiffy going. All right. And that's just the truth. And he could not believe that these people, this is my, these are my people. These are my people. They're going to fight for me. And he was truly believing. I don't know who's the fucking idiot that told him that you could stop the certification simply by having Mike Pence declare it so and then storming the Capitol, but he actually believed it. And that's the, that's the preceding factor to an autocrat, to a dictator wannabe, right? This is how, this is how fascism starts and the erosion of our democracy. But then again, Another thing that I say all the time, Donald Trump is immoral. He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. And the, that also includes the Constitution of the United States of America, something he's never read. Well, yeah, I, I, people always make these comparisons between Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. I don't think it's that accurate. I think what you need to look at is... Donald Trump and Mussolini. Mussolini had no real ideology. He was an atheist. However, later he teamed up with the church. He didn't really have a strong ide ideology. The people that he nominated for propaganda had an ideology. However, he didn't. He was concerned with consolidating power. And he did it through, you know, red scares, the anti-communists, you know, he had, he had his brown shirts, which are very similar to the Proud Boys of today. So there's there's a lot of similarities there. And it, that's what I'm, I think he didn't really care about a particular ideology. It was just about consolidating power, staying in power. And these people thought that they were going to actually do something. They were there thinking that they were going to turn this whole thing around and put Trump back in office. It was very weird to have conversations with them in this regard, because I would slip up and say the wrong thing. And they would they would go from very cheery to you know, very violent, very quickly. It, it was it was weird. It, it that was like, it's 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 funny because you say uh, you think that Trump's rule was similar to Mussolini. I would propose that. Yeah, I agree with you. There are certain Mussolini characteristics. There are certainly Adolf Hitler characteristics, but there's also Idi Amin characteristics <laughs> that I think people really don't um, turn around, you know, when it comes to the way that he abused the power of the office, political repression, right, ethnic persecution, uh, and so on, nepotism, corruption, um, gross economic mismanagement, um, you know, the way that he just turned around and he ran for no better term, his regime, um, I do truly believe that there's a lot of those characteristics as well. And it's sad because that's not what the United States is supposed to be about. I say it again on every show. I, I hate having to repeat myself, but I do because it's the truth. And why there still are so many Trump supporters that are out there. I mean, are, are they willing? Are they interested in turning over the democracy of this country to somebody who wants to turn it into an autocracy? I just don't understand but it. You, you have to understand, here's, here's the problem. I think there's a huge disconnect between liberals, progressives, and all that, and the, the MAGA crowd is we don't 
I do. I hear what they're saying all the time, and it terrifies me. We're not privy to the same information and the same propaganda. And by the time we hear about it, it's mainstream, right? And no one really knew about QAnon until it had, it had hit mainstream. No one really... So a lot of these things that, that they're saying, I've been to all of these QAnon events since the election, and what they're saying is the literal opposite of what you say, are saying. So January 6th was all Antifa. Uh, the, le- the election was stolen. And you know Donald Trump is the only defender of our democracy. I mean, they, they, they mythologize him. And, you know, it's so it's all of these things. There's a lot. I, you know, I beg any listener, go to these go to these stupid rallies. You don't know what's actually being said. And it's being said everywhere. It's terrifying what's actually being said because it, it is flies in the face of reality. It flies in the face of documented history. Right. I mean, you know, according to them, uh, you know, the, the Democrats are the ones that, you know, have been the most racist. They invented racism, you know, forgetting the fact that, you know, there was the voting rights bill, the civil rights bill, the you know two civil rights bills, the voting rights bill in the 60s. And that all of the Democrats that hated these voting rights and civil rights bills left and became Republicans afterwards, you know, to them you know, the Republicans ended slavery, you know, and that they've been the, you know, uh, advocates of civil rights ever since, uh, you know, stuff that's completely, uh, you know, false, like patently false. I mean, and the list goes on. I mean, this, the anti-vax stuff that they say is horrendous. I've listened to them say that, you know, talk about stuff that just sounds like we're in a cartoon, like how as soon as the vaccine comes in, you get all this glow in the dark liquid that runs through your body. And if you shine a black light on someone after they get the vaccine, you can just see them light up like a Christmas tree. This stuff is insane. And they're saying it in abundance. They believe it in abundance. And, you know, the problem is that this QAnon stuff is infecting us and it's spreading to people on the left. It's it's spreading to, you know, black, indigenous people of color, It's spreading to those communities. And, you know, and that's that's what's terrifying with all of this propaganda and conspiracy theory nonsense that they're spouting is that they keep saying it and it's bolstered at the highest level. I mean, and yet and yet Trump is still leading as the um, front runner uh, in a GOP poll for a 2020 presidential election. Now, I'm very clear when I turn around and I say that Donald Trump will not be running. Right. This is just all bullshit. And why they continue to stroke his ego, uh, why they continue to mention him in this thing, all that it does is it just keeps him relevant for the time being, despite the fact that he's losing relevancy basically each and every day. But it is hard to believe that 67 percent of the GOP want Trump to stay in politics. Now, one of the things that I that I know of these individuals is that just like Trump, they lie. Right now, they're all feeding off of you know his bullshit for fundraising. They go out, they say something fucked up and stupid, then they go and they fundraise off it. I mean, look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. She gets censored off of um, Twitter, and then all of a sudden, she's raising millions of dollars. So 
it just as soon as they raise enough money for themselves and then it's going to come to, you know, election season and putting in your announcements, watch how many of them end up turning around and coming after him with the full fury of information that they actually know. That's why he, I know he's not running. He can't afford to lose. He can't afford from an emotional um, standpoint because he has a fragile ego and doesn't want to lose again, which he will. Or two, he doesn't even get the nomination, which is even a bigger smack to his baby ego, right? Um, and he's just grifting off of it in terms of financially. But, you know, one thing I also want to say to you, Walt, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, there, you've been the victim of many um, serious threats of intimidation and, you know, really nasty emails, texts, and so on uh, since that January 6th insurrection. What was the most frightening message that you received? Um, I think the frightening ones were when people just openly said it in their videos. They would make a TikTok video and they'd say it right in the video. They felt very comfortable saying in the video, I will come to New York City and find this person. And that was, you know, that, that was a little, a little frightening. Uh, you know, I had someone calling the police and making criminal complaints against me that were completely false. You know, I had to, speak with law enforcement about that there's yeah there's there's been a lot of that and it's it's dropped off since they real people realized that donald trump doesn't have their back it's it's dropped off significantly but when people thought that donald trump had their back that was frightening because they were acting on behalf of the president of the united states i mean and he didn't help matters by saying proud boys stand back you know stand by stand down whatever he said I have interviews with Proud Boys saying that they interpreted that exactly how you would think they interpreted that, meaning we're waiting for his orders. And, you know, and that's, of course, the, the playbook for any dictatorship is you, you never do things directly. It's all your paramilitary people that, you know, oh, they're not working for the government. They're not working for us. They did that independently. Exactly. Exactly. Now, since you brought up the Proud Boys in October of 2020, before the election, you interviewed a Proud Boys group asking them what they thought of Donald Trump's call for them to stand back, uh, to stand by and to stand back. Now, one of those individuals then very specifically talked about how it was a call to arms. And if Trump was not elected, that there would be not just a riot, a but civil a civil war. war. Right. To your knowledge, did any of these guys follow through on their threats on January 6th, or was it all just bluster? I, I don't even want to jinx it so far, because they, they all seem like they're gearing up and they're ready for war, because they, they all believe that this happened, that the election was actually stolen. And I, all it's going to take is a leader to actually push them over the edge and say, you know, it's time, the time is now. I think without a central leadership pushing them to do this, they'll sort of fragment and go into hiding. I think the only thing stopping them is, you know, someone like Trump having a bigger platform to say, you know, the time is now, like, let's take our country back. You think from all of your experience in terms of 
going to these rallies or all of your knowledge in terms of like even working with the FBI. Is there anybody that sort of comes to mind could be the leader of these various different factions? Because it's not just the Oath Keepers. It's not just the Proud Boys. It's not just the, you know, the one percenters, the three percenters, whatever the hell they call themselves. It's not just that there's a multitude of factions that run by different names. But do you see anyone coming out as the sort of unifier? America first. The America first movement. And the America first movement has sanitized its language. It's not a white supremacist movement. It's a hyper nationalist movement. And they, they swear that they'll accept every single race and creed and gender so long as you acknowledge that you love America, you love the police, and that America was originally founded as a, a Christian country. So they, the America First movement, they are trying to primary all of the candidates in the next election that didn't, uh, you know, help Trump steal the election. They all said that. So here's the deal. All of the people present on January 6th all said, you know, we're primarying these rhinos, these Mitch McConnells, these Mitt Romneys, so on and so forth. The only people that were safe are like the Marjorie Taylor Greens, Boberts, Hawley, Ted Cruz. The rest, you know, for the most part, have got to go and they're going to primary them and put crazier people in. This was said to me multiple times on January 6th. And you know what? Hats off to these people for, uh, you know, primarying candidates they don't like. I wish more people in the Democratic Party would primary, you know, corporate Democrats that they didn't like. This, this is the part where, you know, the America First movement, I think, is the most dangerous because it's, to me, it's a white supremacist movement. Okay, and the white supremacist movement, you don't see alt-right anymore. No one's alt-right. No one's a white supremacist. It's all under the guise of hyper-nationalism, right? They can get people that aren't white into the America First movement that have internalized white supremacy and use them, you know, exploit them to say, oh, look, we're not racist. It's not a racist movement. We just love America. And that that to me is the most, um, you know, if someone's a Nazi, they're a Nazi. Like someone with a swastika, you know, on their uniform is it's very obvious what they are. And I think the America First movement has learned to sanitize its language to say, like, look, if we're racist, how come we have Latino members? If we're racist, how, you know, how we have black indigenous members, we have this, um, you know, and that that to me is the most uh, disturbing. Well, then let me ask you this. In the aftermath of the riots, you became actually quite famous for outing rioters on video um, who self-admitted what that they, you know, what they did that day. How did you end up coming to work with the FBI? And how many of those folks that you videotaped uh, have ultimately been brought to justice because of your actions? Uh, Quite a few people that were in my videos were arrested uh, as a result 
of videos that I posted. The funny thing, so this, this is actually a really funny story. So the FBI couldn't find me. I had been, I had moved a bunch of times. So they found Hillary Clinton and they waited outside of his house. And then I, I went there to go film some TikToks with him one day <laughs> and we're filming a TikTok and there's a knock at the door. His roommate opens up and they said, yeah, we're looking for Walter Masterson. And I froze because I thought, who comes to someone else's house looking for me? This is frightening. I, and they said, well, we're with the FBI. And then I relaxed. I said, oh, OK. Oh, my God. I'm not going to have a heart attack. And then they sat down with us. or we sat down with them. And I said, here's all of my footage. You know, you can have here's everything in my phone. Uh, here's all of the stuff. Go for it. Um, knock yourself out. I, you know, I don't, you know, and I've been, I even posted about this. So for the record, I've been very open about the fact that I have given the FBI all my footage from that day. You know, so I've, I've posted about this multiple times and I, I, it really frustrated me how I have footage of people openly admitting to their crimes. They give me their name. They give me, they tell me what they did. I don't, while they're talking to me, I'm thinking to myself, I really want you to shut up and stop talking. Like, I'm just a comedian. I came there to get funny interviews. I did not come there, like, for that reason. But I was just like, how are you this stupid? Some of them, I think they're so radicalized that it just, like I said, they think they're acting on behalf of the president of the United States. So they were so open about what they were doing. I swear to God, Michael, being at Capitol Hill that day, no one was concealing a goddamn thing. I mean, if you look at footage of the Q shaman, he can't, comes out of the Capitol and admits that he was in the Capitol and admits it on camera what he was doing. And no one was hiding their actions that day. They filmed it. They live streamed it. They broadcasted it. They recorded it. They uploaded their own footage to the Internet of them breaking the law. And I don't understand it. I I don't fucking get it. Um, Well, yeah, back to your point. (laughs) So, yeah, so the the FBI came at us while we were filming a TikTok and interrogated us. It was was quite funny, the entire conversation that I had with them. And and then I had met with them another time and just to give them all the footage and go over everything with them from that day. But, yeah, I'd worked with – and a bunch of people had gotten – there was – also, it not they didn't just it wasn't just primarily from my footage, but they were trying to give locations and of where everyone was at the time. So the woman who stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop walked across camera while we were giving an interview. So they go. So now the FBI says, "Oh, now we can now we know that at this time this woman was at this place." You know. So they were trying to just do a whole uh, thing. A whole time, yeah, timeline onto yeah. it. So then, let, okay, so Walt, let me ask you the following question then. If you were to make a list of folks that need to be subpoenaed for their activity or based on their knowledge and what they did on January 6th, but somehow have flown under the radar, who would that be? I'd love to see Charlie Kirk and all the. I'd love to see the FBI subpoena 
Charlie Kirk's cell phone and see all the text messages he sent. I mean, he sent what a dozen buses of MAGAs to DC on his dime. And he, he was pushing this whole radical agenda. And I'd love to see Charlie Kirk, Alex Jones. I'd love to see the people at OAN subpoenaed. OAN and Newsmax pushed this the worst. I don't, I don't know if you realize what really happened. Fox News called the election for Biden. Their viewership dropped and went over to OAN and Newsmax. I was at these Stop the Steal rallies. None of them, no one trusted Fox News anymore. Fox News was like CNN to them. They called Fox News the liberal media. And they only trusted Newsmax and OAN. And so it was, you know, so I, I, there's so many of these people at OAN and Newsmax that I'm sure we're getting direct communication from the Oval Office as to how to proceed and how to how to roll. I, I would love to know who turned off, you know, security clearance for Pence that day. And who made sure that, you know, because it seemed like they were trying to box in Pence and keep him from fleeing with the Secret Service. It is really crazy. I mean, people don't realize just how nuts that it is. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing Sean Hannity is going to be subpoenaed to testify before the committee. And they want, you know, a couple of dozen other people. And again, I still am completely baffled as to why Eric Trump hasn't been brought in, why Laura Trump hasn't, Katrina Pearson, why these the Kramer... Uh, Amy Kramer and uh, I think Amy's the mom or the daughter. Uh, the other one, as well as Mark, you know, Mark, Mark Meadows, Meadows, since yeah. they have all of since they have all of his text messages. Allegedly, there were burner phones that were being used on the outside to the inside. And how do we know this? Right. This is this is the point I was trying to bring up. We know this because they have done twenty seven hundred hours worth of review worth of of you know depositions worth of and that's not even including the review of the documents that they have gotten from people i mean we're talking about a fucking mountain of documentation of evidence and how many more times merrick garland do i have to say to you you don't need a hundred dead bodies you don't need 10 dead bodies all you need is one in order to bring a charge start bringing charges against this and the the thing that bothers me the most is what people think is you know is happening here is that they're building an ironclad case look when you have documentary evidence that turns around and says you know you're a member of you know congress and you're providing schematics of the capital so that insurrectionists who we know are insurrectionists use that in order to know exactly where they were going to get to the Senate chamber, to get to Pelosi's office, to box in Mike Pence, to shut off the, the you know, the, the um, door systems so that he couldn't get and out. Also, and also making this sure, is, making sure that no backup This is really, this is a problem. Right. This is all a real problem. And they have the information. You don't need Sean Hannity's testimony. In fact, I don't think they need anybody's anymore in order to bring probably between 50 to 100 indictments tomorrow. Yeah, and this, this it's is just Merrick Garland is yeah. sitting there. Yeah. I, 
right? It's just Merrick Garland now just sitting back and saying, well, you know, we, do we really want this to go this way? He's very reluctant well, I think that's, within that's which the, to punish these people. No, that's, that's the Democratic Party in general and their respectability politics of it. I think it's nonsense. It's one of the things I hate. It's well, there's a lot of things I don't like about the Democratic Party in general, but the this is the the problem with them is their respectability politics of just like, you know, oh, we don't want to start putting elected officials in jail for the times they broke the law, <laughs> especially when it was like a literal insurrection. And I think I, I hate that about them. I and so Another thing is, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a lot of myths about what happened that day. If you go to any Trump rally, QAnon conference, they're all going to talk about how this was all Antifa. The police just let everyone in uh, that, you know, at at the very best, you know, there were actually some MAGAs that were inside doing bad things. But everyone on the outside had no idea what was happening. And I've been very vocal about the fact that I was literally there. I can tell you all of this is nonsense and I can tell you how it's nonsense. You know, what's really important to know is the biggest thing they're going to say is, oh, the we didn't know what was going on inside the Capitol. You know, all of us were just outside the Capitol just protesting as you know, First Amendment. But we didn't know what was happening. Yes, you did. Everyone that went inside the Capitol was coming back out and reporting on what was happening. And all of them were cheering. I have footage of people coming outside the Capitol saying, oh, we just uh, sacked Nancy Pelosi's office and took her laptop. And people are cheering about this. Okay, everyone knew exactly what was going on inside. And there was thousands upon thousands of them. Um, The second thing is that, oh, the police just let us in. It was like, no, the police were heavily, heavily outnumbered. I've never seen anything like that. No backup. The police stood down for fear of just getting killed. These, I mean, these people were out for blood. Yeah, nonsense. Oh, and it was all Antifa. Here's the craziest thing. Well, not well, not just not just Antifa, Walt. They also claim that it was Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And I often on this program turn around and say, and I hate to say it, but I, I do truly believe it in my gut, and it makes me sick to my fucking stomach. If, in fact, that crowd was not white but black, you could rest assured there would have been plenty of dead fucking bodies on the ground. All right? Oh, yeah. Why? I, it's, it's just it's wrong, and I truly believe it in my, in my gut that for some reason, you know, they did not— do what they should have done, which is to put these fucking people down. Which brings me to this, because you were on the ground and you have such specific knowledge because you go to these rallies and you do all of the things that actually would scare the living shit out of most normal people, Yeah. right? There are a lot of people who fear a Donald Trump comeback in 2024. But based on what you're seeing on the ground at these rallies and these other gatherings and so on, what's the level of energy and enthusiasm for that that you're seeing firsthand? Just stop thinking about, oh, 2024. They're mobilizing for the midterm elections. And they're using everything to... They're using white fear. They're using... uh, you know, critical race theory, 
they've used that to great effect to say, oh, look, critical race theory is not being taught in schools at all. Okay, unless you're in a graduate school. However, to them, the critical race theory is being taught at, you know, from, you know, K through 12, according to the MAGA crowd. They're using a lot of complete falsehoods uh, to use that in the midterm elections. I mean, this is the thing. A lot of people think, oh, we're, we're cool now because we have Trump out of office. It's like, no, they're trying to come back and they're trying to put more crazy Marjorie Taylor Greens, Boberts, Paulies into office. I mean, that's they're sort of the outliers. They're the craziest members of the party, but they're not going to seem that crazy in the next midterm election. I mean, they're- well, since we're talking about the midterm election, let me ask you this then, because today is the one year anniversary of the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And thanks to the House Select Committee, much has been learned about what went on that day, who was behind the attacks and how it was funded. Like I said, 112 and a half days worth of testimony has given them a shitload of information. And insurrectionists who took part in the rioting have also, some of them, right, have been brought to justice. Now, sadly, the real perpetrators, the Donald Trump and his gang of criminal sycophants, have yet to be brought to justice. Now, the clock is ticking should, you know, the Democrats lose the majority in this year's midterm elections. um, The panel will guaranteed be shut down and with it, the January 6th will quickly be brushed under the rug. In your mind, what needs to happen in the coming months so that these folks are not only brought to justice, but the world knows loud and clear what they did on that terrible day? So what needs to happen? Yeah, there's there's multiple ways to which the Democrats have a messaging problem. And I think the biggest problem is that you know, they talk about the liberal bubble, the liberal bubble, the whatever. No one is aware of what is being said in opposition. No one is aware of what's being said at these QAnon conferences, at these Trump rallies, at these local anti-vax rallies. No one's aware of the disinformation that's being spread. There's no counter messaging for it. Heavy, heavy disinformation. And there's no resistance, none. And that is a huge problem. It gives me huge anxiety because I go to these things and I hear them say stuff that is patently historically false stuff that, I mean, you could look it up and in five seconds, know that it's not true. Um, it widely documented things. And it's, that's being spread again and again and again. There was tons of anti-vax rallies over the summer and the stuff that was being spread there was awful. There was no counter message to it. And it's one of the things that pisses me off about the Democratic Party in general is that they don't have an effective counter messaging strategy. And then what happens is this falls onto the citizenry. This this burden falls onto us to to like spread this counter message, you know, to go against the this awful disinformation. And that that's what's very upsetting. It's like, you know, it's exhausting. You know, I hear all of this. I hear all of this nonsense, these nonsense theories months before they become mainstream and before, you know, everyone in corporate media is talking about it. And it 
it, it's like, it, you know, it gives a lot of anxiety. And I'm like, you know, by, by the time corporate media, CNN and MSNBC pick it up, it's too late. It's mainstream. It's, it's red pilled so many people. You know, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's why I, that's why you have. Yeah, but that's why I saw that you had put out. And as we're now, you know, coming to the end of the hour, I kind of have just a, this one uh, additional question, which brings me up onto the point that you just made, um, because you actually talked about this in a tweet when you stated, and I'm going to quote it, that the Democratic Party is awful at counter messaging. They basically dumped this problem onto us. The people who work at the DNC need to be fired and replaced. And I totally agree with you. I've been making these sorts of statements since the day I started Mea Culpa, since the time that I realized yeah. that I actually have a platform in order to get people angry, to get them interested in these midterms and into the general election, into seeing that not just Republican members of Congress, but our Democratic members of Congress do what they're required to do. And that's not to represent themselves, right? But to represent the people to whom that they, you know, owe the obligation to their constituents. And I talk about this, and I just did it the other day um, on my appearance on Alex Witt on MSNBC, when, you know, um, there was a, uh, a letter that was penned by, in July of 2020, by Congressmen uh, Ted Lieu and Hakeem Jeffries, which called for Michael Horowitz, the, um, from the Department of Justice, the Office of Inspector General, to open an investigation against Trump and Bill Barr and others for the unconstitutional remand of me back to prison. And I said to Alex, this is goes, yes, I want my, I want my pound of flesh. That's a fucking fact. I want it. But more than that, I want people to understand this is not just about Michael Cohen and me getting my, my pound of flesh. This is, this is democracy in peril. We are seriously in a bad place when the president, with a willing and complicit attorney general, put a citizen in prison because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right and not publish my book Disloyal. That's fucked up. And that's not something that anybody should want to see happen. Yeah. It, it, I mean, yeah, there's, there's massive... I'm 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 glad that enough white people are starting to figure out that the criminal justice system does not work for them either. It, so it, I feel like that's that's what we've seen the past year, where you have a lot of white people going, "Oh wait, the criminal justice system not only doesn't work for them, it doesn't it doesn't work for me either. Oh, it actually works for no one here, except maybe the rich and powerful. That's it. You know, full stop. Until Donald decides that he wants what the rich and powerful have and pulls a Mohammed Ben Salman, brings everybody over to Mar-a-Lago, hangs them up by their feet and makes them sign over, you know, 50% of their wealth to him, you know, which will end up probably going into some sort of a crypto to pay for Melania's NFT of Melania's vision of her eyes. I mean, talk about grifting bullshit across. Look, Walt, let me thank you. I'm getting... I have to go take my blood pressure medication because now that we're back and, you know, these are all new episodes, um, here comes my frustration like yours. Here comes my anxiety. And I just really want all of my listeners to understand just how 
significant these midterm elections are. And we, meaning yourself, myself, anybody, I speak to a ton of people who have been guests on the show. And I believe that it's about time that the Democratic Party starts putting people with platforms together so that we could end up creating what the Republicans have, like with the um, with the uh, uh, Republican um, conventions, we should be doing the same thing, like not a CPAC, but we should be doing like a DPAC. And I certainly, once we get this thing up and running, I certainly would love for you to be there. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, man. Well, thanks so much. Happy New Year, my friend. And um, let's see what happens. All right. Thank, thank you, Michael. Happy New Year to you. And thanks for having me on. You got it. Be well. And now for today's mea culpa. In speaking with Walter Masterson, I am reminded of the sense of paralysis I felt as the events of January 6th unfolded before me like a fucking nightmare. But there was also a sense of inevitability to the violence. We all knew this was going to happen. We watched for, for years as Trump toyed with the extremists, the fucking racists, and other dregs who made up the fringe of the Republican Party. We saw previews of what would happen in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the countless rallies where we encouraged violence and the worst instincts of his supporters. It was all there, waiting to be exploited, and January 6th was simply the beginning. What's frightening is since that day, the lies, the disinformation, and distortions have only grown. Trump may have been the host, but what we're witnessing today is the MAGA message infecting every fucking corner of our democracy, and we seem powerless from stopping this from happening. As we prepare to memorialize January 6th, there is a desire to treat what happened similar to what happened on 9-11. This is a venerable American tradition of commemorating historical events with prayer, public encomiums to civic virtue, and calls for a new coming together of all Americans regardless of party or creed. Jen Psaki has made this clear, and she said, January 6th was one of the darkest days in our democracy. It was a day when our nation's capital was under attack, and I think there's no question you'll see us commemorate that day. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has gone further, announcing a series of events that includes a prayer and moment of silence on the House floor, a dialogue between Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham designed to establish and preserve the narrative of January 6th public testimony from members on their January 6th experience, and a closing prayer vigil with members of Congress on the steps of the Capitol. It is good and fitting that leaders support a public reckoning with the meaning of the January 6th insurrection, and certainly national healing can never be a bad thing. But treating January 6th as an occasion for spiritual edification and public psychotherapy is a disastrous way for political leaders to reckon with a political threat to democracy that is ongoing. And efforts to turn that particular day into a moment of speeches and genuflection threatens to distract needed attention from the broader attack on democracy that is going on every day. Not on the steps of the Capitol, but in state houses across the country and on social media and inside of the Capitol building itself, where House and Senate Republican leaders are doing their part to undermine constitutional democracy. January 6th should not only be a day of prayers and testimony and healing, 
It should be a day focused on the ongoing threats to democracy, which were made corporal on January 6th of 2021, and then focused on the actions that must be taken to counter those threats before it is too late. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. 